Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. My goodness, it's like a family reunion around here. So good to see you guys. Woo! Yes, let's just take a moment and celebrate. <laughs> it's awesome to see you guys, and we're so glad to have you here. And those of you joining us online, too, we hope you get a chance to join us real soon. Um, if you can, we would love to have you here and see your beautiful face. And so um, today we're going to continue our series that we've been in for a couple of weeks now, Renovating Your Heart. It's, we've been talking about this powerful process that God wants to do with every single person. And if you have stepped over the line of faith and you have become a believer, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then you are on the front row of this process that God wants to include you in on. And it is the process of spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness. And we have gone all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, starting with week one, and just saying, what was the first thing Jesus came talking and preaching about? And that was inviting people into God's kingdom. You are welcome into God's kingdom. He, it's now open, and you are invited in. So what was God's number one desire for us in his kingdom? What did he want? And Jesus made this clear also, and later reiterated by Paul over and over and over. It is Christ-likeness. It's becoming like Jesus. This is what God wants. This is exactly what he wants, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. This is what he wants. And that when we become more like Jesus, we become more like who he created us to be than ever before. You find a freedom, you find a power, you find a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a peace, a joy, a love. We looked at this last week. that You can't find anywhere else. It's so powerful. It's beautiful. But how does that begin? It begins by us turning our heart completely to God and letting him renovate it. All of our hearts are in need of a renovation. And we started that process with our minds, letting God transform our minds, our thoughts and our feelings. We talked about feelings and how powerful they were last week. And that is inseparable from what we're going to look at this week, our will and our heart. And I'd like to define what am I talking about because these are used in Scripture interchangeably, will and heart. What we're talking about is our executive or decision center of who we are as human beings. It is the place that we originate from, our ability to originate or to not originate. You have that prerogative too. You can come up with fresh ideas, solve problems, things that, like, unbelievable, things that are only you. That is a gift from you. In Scripture, it talks about your spirit, the spirit of humanity or the human spirit it's not necessarily it's not the divine spirit of God although it's been created by God but it's the idea that you have within you the capacity for volition will choice you can choose and God always throughout scripture he's challenging us to use it well be careful choose you this choose you this day who you will serve choose well be wise with your choices be wise with your time. Be wise with your money, with your resources. Be wise. Why? Because you, if you didn't have a choice, he wouldn't be encouraging you to do such things, right? 
But with that will also comes God has given us a great capacity and a desire to do good. He wants us to use it to do good, and I believe that at least we all start out with the capacity and the desire to want to do good. Now, is it possible that through circumstance, maybe abuse, maybe addictions, whatever, people completely, the waters get so muddy in their own mind, they can't even want good anymore? You already know the answer to that. Absolutely, that can happen, 100%. But it doesn't change the fact that deep down, I believe every person, if they were gut-level honest, yeah, I'd like to do some good. I'd like, before I leave this planet, that I have done something that people would say, he did good. She did good. They made a difference that made this world better. That is what we desire. But our will is totally dependent upon the contents of our mind, of what we think about. That's why we started with the images and the thoughts of our mind. And then last week, the feelings that come from those thoughts, and the feelings are so powerful. And then this week, we're going to talk about how that culminates together. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 we're told that for as he thinks in his, let's say it together, in his heart or his mind, interchangeable, so is he. As we think, as we will, as we choose, it reflects who we really are. So I want to talk about this for a little bit. Our choices are so powerful because our choices accumulate. Choices of our Self, this gift that God has given us, probably of all the things that we're made in the image of God, that, that this is most reflective of God, maybe of anything that, that is in us that reflects God, it's our volition, it's our will, it's our choice, it's our heart, right? So the choices of our, our life manifested over time in a pattern equates to our character. So all of your choices they, they, they accumulate over time and they create this pattern, right? They, they show people something about you by the way that you have chosen to live and we call that character. And in our world today, character counts. Character is still really matters. It's really important. It's why we look at credit reports and resumes and we call letters of references. Why don't we do those things? What, why are we, what are we trying to figure out about people, right? Ultimately, we're trying to figure out what kind of thoughts and feelings and tendencies does this person act from. It's not just what they did in the past, it's what they're likely to do in the future. And you can predict with some pretty amazing accuracy by looking at someone's character, what they have done, you can predict how they're probably going to behave in the future unless there is something radical that happens to their character. This is why it's so important that we stop for just a minute and think about our own will, our own series or pattern of choices in our life, because it is your character. And it is the sum total of who you are as a human being in the eyes of other people. That's all they have to go on is what you've given them by the choices of your life. They're so powerful. And, um, and it is one of those things that can shape us for better, for worse. Uh, one of the privileges I've had over the years uh, at Texas A&M is to get to do chapels for some of the different athletic teams. And I remember one year getting to speak to the incoming freshman uh, football athletes. And I had talked to a couple of the coaches about, well, what are some of the things you'd like for me to talk about? And they said, well, sometimes when these young athletes come in, they have 
kind of a bigger ego than maybe they should. <laughs> they, are, they don't really uh, understand that they need to work together as a team. And so I put together this talk, and it was essentially saying, okay, you guys are incredibly talented athletes. You wouldn't be sitting in this room if you weren't. I mean, they could have picked a lot of other people, right? But they picked you. You're here. Your talent got you in the door. But you know what will keep you here? Your character. You have to have character to stay here. Now, you got to keep developing the talent too, absolutely. But are you willing to work hard? Are you willing to put other people before yourself? Are you willing to um, set your agenda aside for the sake of the team? Are you, are you willing to do, because, you know, and, and do what you say you're going to do. You're going to show up on time. You're going to do stuff, and you're going to work hard, maybe even do more than's asked, than what is asked of you, right? Character counts. If you don't have the character, you don't get to stay, right? How many of us have a story of saying, man, my talent got me in the door, got, got, the, the talent introduced a blessing into my life, but because I lacked character, I lost the blessing. I don't know how many people I've seen with tears in their eyes going through a divorce, going through a loss of a relationship that they wish, or losing a job over ethical issues. Like, I wish I could go back. I wish I could undo what I did. But in that moment, the choice that they made comes with a consequence. And it changed everything for them. So what happens if you haven't always made great choices? Maybe that's part of your story, is to say, well, Will, that's, that's great to know about character and the will and the heart, but like, what happens if I've made some really big mess up stupid moments in my life I have great news for you I have great news for you because this is what spiritual transformation to Christ likeness is all about character can be changed it can be transformed that's what the whole New Testament is really pointing towards is that Jesus after his resurrection can resurrect whatever is dead in you that you didn't think you could ever do again he is going to help you to be able to take steps towards him and to become somebody that you never thought that you could. It's so powerful. If we're willing to trust him, it's so important to do that. So what does the heart of will look like? Let's go all the way back to, what are we talking about here? What does this look like? What does the heart of will look like that has been transformed into Christ-likeness? Now to answer this, we gotta go to Christ himself. We gotta go back to Jesus. Where did Jesus sort of pull back the curtains on his own heart, you know, like Superman here, you know, pull back the curtains and say, let me show you what drives my heart, what drives my will, my choices. And in John chapter eight, verse 29, Jesus said these profound words. He says, and he, he's talking about his heavenly father, our heavenly father, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are, let's say the highlighted words together, that are, pleasing to him i want to please him i put him first what does god want these are the first questions i ask he's always with me he's always there he's empowering me he's giving me wisdom he's doing everything and and this was god in the flesh this was jesus the son of the living god telling us this he's showing us a little secret he, this is how it Works. In other words, simply put, the answer is single-minded, joyous devotion to God and His will. And what do we mean by His will? What He wants for us. What does God want 
for me. It is loving and serving God, and it is loving and serving my neighbor because of God. In Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, Jesus, what is the greatest commandments of all the commandments in the Old Testament, of all the commandments that the Pharisees have come up with that try to apply all to us? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love and serve him. Love and serve your neighbor. This is not complicated. <laughs> Just not a lot of people are willing to do it but it radically changes your will. It will radically change the trajectory of your life. It'll radically change the level or the amount of God's divine interaction and involvement in your life. It will radically change by you being willing to be open like that and saying, God, I invite you in. I want you to rule. I want you to reign. And what's beautiful is this becomes uh, a beautiful filter now for us to be able to say, okay, this is how I begin to live for God. This is how I begin to walk in his will day after day, is saying, I want what you want, God. Well, and, and it's in that moment that Jesus makes it really clear that when we begin to do that, that we experience the abundant life, and there is only one way to it, and it's by us surrendering our will to his. There's no other way. He says this is the only way to the abundant life. And you may be saying, well, Will, if that's true, then why doesn't God just force us to do the, the things that he knows to be right? Like, just like, I'm not giving you a choice because you boneheads are messing things up all over the place down there. I'm just gonna make you do the right thing all the time. Now, why didn't God do it like that? And to answer this, we gotta go all the way back to Genesis. Going all the way back to Genesis, um, understanding that here's why. Why uh, God doesn't just force us to do the same things that he knows to be right. We would lose this incredibly important thing, what he intended from our creation, freely chosen character. You see, God knew from the creation that if we were gonna have a love relationship with him, and that's what he created us for, is to have a love relationship with him, we had to have free choice. We had to have volition, we had to have will, we had to have a heart that could choose. If you take away choice, love ceases to be love. That's just coercion, right? That's the reason why we don't do shotgun weddings anymore. That's not really love, is it? Like, uh, you must, you must love, right? Um, that's something, he wanted it to be a relationship with him that we choose, that we choose. Love is sweet and real and powerful when we choose it. And God knew that about us. And he's saying, I want you to freely choose this relationship with me. And to God, this is one of the most precious things about you. It's what gives you dignity. It makes you worthy of respect and honor. It's, it is the thing that helps to explain why would Jesus, the Son of the living God, leave heaven, come to earth, and give everything and die for individual human beings and then be joyous about the outcome. The only thing that makes sense is that he has given us the choice to love. In Hebrews chapter, two, or chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the, let's say it together, for the, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To him, your will 
is precious. And it brought him great joy to redeem that will and to be able to have the choice to choose God and no longer live as a slave to sin, but be free to be a child where the chains have been dropped off and the captives have been set free, as Jesus said. That's what I came to do, so that you could live freely and love freely me. But here's the thing. Our will is not only precious, but it is also a problem, okay? It's precious, yes. God made us with the capacity to do good. He gave us that capacity. He gave us that uh, opportunity. But the will also can become splintered and corrupted and turned on itself. It can begin to deify self. The will, when it's corrupted, can begin to make you and I into a God because we don't really care what God's will is. I only care what Will's will is, all right? You only care what your will is. And it gets a little confusing to think about this sometimes, but it can slowly, without us even perceiving that it's happening, begin to happen in our life that we don't really ask the question anymore, you know, what good can I bring about? That gets replaced with this question, how can I get my way? How can I get what I want? And you got a whole world that's screaming at you, a culture all around us that says, no, you go make you happy. You do whatever you want to do, and anybody who gets in the way, and anybody tells you you can't, they're haters, and you just need to cast them aside. Cancel those people, right? Don't listen to them anymore. And you go after whatever you want and you do whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want, whenever you want, and don't you worry about any of the consequences. And that is getting us into a deeper and deeper hole as a society. And the thing that's remarkable about God, and it really speaks to his love, is that God refuses to, he refuses to overtake he refuses to, um, to remove our ability to choose, and more importantly, the consequences that go with those choices. He lets us go our own way. He allows that, but make no mistake, just because you get to go your own way does not mean you get your own way. That proves to be impossible for people who pursue their own will instead of God's will, right? Right? It becomes a trap. And let me explain what I mean by this. Our hearts, apart from God, falls into duplicity. In other words, it's seeking multiple things at the same time. And these are competing wants, ladies and gentlemen, that cannot coexist. There is a war going on inside of you. James talks about this. That what causes quarrels and fights among, among you, isn't it the desires that dwell within you? These desires that compete with one another, they cause all kinds of turmoil within us. And these competing wants begins to unfold like this. Our pride will trap us between desire, getting what we want, or whatever you want, and Fear, the fear of the consequences of getting whatever you want. Because there is fear that goes with that. And if you 
don't know that, you just haven't thought about this very deeply because it happens all the time. If we, instead of submitting our will to God's will, we say, no, I'm going to pursue my will at the expense of God's will or anybody else's or what it does to anybody else, then we find ourselves trying to conceal the fact that we did pursue our desire because it's going to go public or it's going to be out there and there is a fear that goes with it that we're scared to death because there's a consequence. Now people are not going to respect me. They're going to look at me differently, and they're never going to trust me again. They won't want to do business with my business anymore. This person that's married to me will not want to be married to me. My kids will not respect me. There is a whole chain reaction of domino effect of things that's going to happen, and I'm scared to death. And there are people everywhere that are living in this constant fear of being found out because they sought their will in a moment where they thought, what possibly could happen? And their pride drove them into it. And then once they find themselves caught in this duplicity, they, they find themselves caught between fear and the consequent, this consequence of their, of their desires, their pride won't let them admit that they're there. And some of you are caught there right now. And there are people that care about you that can tell you are under some heavy frustrating, constant conflict within, and they can see it on you. And they'll say, hey, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And your pride won't let you tell the truth. You'll say, no, I'm good. I'm, it's all good. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know you're not fine. You know you're not good. You're being eat up inside, but you're scared to death to tell anybody. And it messes you up. It breaks your heart that you have to live like that over and over And this is the moment where we have to begin to say, God, I want to be open to you. I want to listen to what you have to say because so many people live in this place. How can we heal? How can we heal our duplicitous, our splintered, our conflicted, our corrupted will? How do we do that? How do we begin to get free from this? Because so many find themselves in that place. And maybe you're there today where you're just sick and tired of feeling like you're constantly tormented, that what your actions manifest is not what you say you believe. You feel like an absolute hypocrite. And there is shame and there is guilt that follows you all the time. And you'd be sick if you knew people knew how you really feel about yourself on the inside. Where do we begin? We have to begin where we started the whole series in Jeremiah chapter 17, where Jeremiah lays out the truth about the human will, the human heart. And I'm going to add on another verse so we understand God's perspective. The heart, the will, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Another version says, who knows really how bad it is, how dark it can get. The human heart can get pretty ugly and dark. We're capable of things that we would never want to confess. But humanity history proves can get there, right? We personally can get there. Um, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind, the thoughts and feelings, to reward each person according to their conduct. This is their character. This is the habitual pattern over a period of time, according to what their deeds deserve. And here God is basically saying, listen, just so you know, 
all the complexity of the human mind, all the intricacies of the human will, and all the various different strings that pull you and that come into play on why you do what you do and make the decisions that you make, God's saying it's all laid open and bare and transparent to me. I see it all. And when you finally start to accept that, it makes coming clean with God much easier. It's like he already knows it anyway. He already sees it. He saw everything you did. All the stuff you're trying to cover up. All the stuff that, the duplicity. And we say, well, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not living duplicitous. I just do what I want. Yeah, when you're on the internet, I'm gonna look whatever I want. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I'm looking at whatever. I'm doing whatever I want. But then when you get through, you go, I hope no, I'm delete that history, right? <laughs> I don't want anybody to know where I went. I don't, there's certain parts of my past you may feel like, I don't want anybody to know about that relationship. I don't want anybody to know about that foolish judgment calls that I made. I don't want anybody to, I hope that never comes to light and I will bury it, I will try to keep it hidden and I'll act like it never happened. But God's saying, I already know it happened. You need to come clean with it. You get honest about it and then healing begins. And not just healing, but transformation begins. Our only hope is to place our confidence, our faith is another word for confidence, in God who can enter into our duplicity of will and heart and make it right. It's simply saying, God, I invite you into my will, into my heart, and I'm, I'm asking you to enter in and make it right. Help begin to heal me and help me to begin to live a life of integrity, integrated into one and not duplicitous the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways James 1 tells us they're like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind and that person will not think they should receive anything from the Lord it's a deception and it is a spell that is cast over us by our own pride and we can get free but it takes humility it takes surrender. It's inviting God into the deepest part of who we are, into our hearts, into our will, because our hearts are the thing that condemns us. And it's your heart, it's your will, it's your desires that keep you from saying, God can never trust God. Don't believe that lie. First John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, if our hearts, our will condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Amen. Like that is an awesome piece of truth right there. And he knows everything. You can trust him. Your heart will condemn you, but your God will not. And there are times where you have to say, trusting my desires, my heart, my will, letting it call the shots is only a quick route to destruction and devastation, and I'm not gonna live like that anymore. I'm sick of it. And some of you, every time I talk about that devastation and that heartbreak, you, you, you feel it's like a shot to your heart. There is a, there, there's a, a nerve that I'm touching because you feel it. You live like that all the time. And it's time for it to end today. God hears your heart. Please hear me today. If you're watching this online, he hears your heart. He is sensitive to your heart. It's as though God has a heart monitor on every person. He loves you. And the beautiful thing about God is that the slightest movement 
of the human heart towards God, and he responds. He's there. That's how much he loves you. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and following. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, this is he's writing to a, an audience that believes that, man, no, Jews are the blessed people of God, and everybody else is second class, and he could care less about them. And Paul is saying, since Jesus came, all the rules have changed, okay? The Jews don't get front row, right? Everybody gets to, everybody's included in this party. Everybody's invited into this kingdom. And he says, the same Lord is Lord of, let's say it together, and this is, Jew, Gentile is simply a non-Jew, right? Anybody who's not Jewish. He says, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Their heart, their volition, their will calls out to God. I need you, God. I need you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, let's say it together, saved. Now, what is the qualification to get included into God's family and to his people? You call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter about your ethnic heritage. None of that matters to him. All the outward stuff, really, Jesus couldn't care less. He cared about your heart. He says, I want your heart. I want you to give God your heart because if he gets your heart, he can transform everything else, right? It's not about putting on a nice show and be religious and just look good outwardly. It's being honest about the heart. It's being real. And what's beautiful about this is that this shows us that there is no special knowledge needed or sophistication or deep intellectual you know assent that has to happen before God will respond to you all you have to do is call out to him it's just as simple as that Edith Schaefer in her book Affliction tells this beautiful story about this man from the Lisu tribe of the remote hills in uh, in China <clears throat> and he is a man who later described himself as one who desired a relationship with a God he did not know. And one day when he was out walking on the mountain, he saw a piece of paper, and it was a page that had been ripped out of a Lisu catechism. And he picks it up and he reads it, and it read this. Are there more gods than one? No, there is only one God. Should we worship idols? No. And the rest of the page had been ripped away. That's all he had. And based on that one page, he goes home and destroys all of his altars that were made to idols. And immediately after that, his little girl gets very sick, and all of his neighbors begin to taunt him and say, you have made the demons mad at you, and they're getting back at you. And he thought to himself, and here's a man that knew nothing of prayer at all. He thought to himself, well, if there is one true God, maybe I can reach that God with my voice. So he literally goes out and climbs to the highest peak in that vicinity, which happened to be about 14,000 feet. He climbs up there, and he shouts at the top of his voice to God. And here's what he says. He says, oh God, if you're really there, and you really are the one I am to worship, please make my little girl well again. And then it took him a while to climb back down the mountain and he makes his way back home, and when he gets home, his little girl had been totally and completely healed. And he found out she had been healed at the precise moment when he had prayed. 
that man goes on to become one of the most effective evangelists in that entire area of the world. Edith Schaefer goes on to write this. She says, there will be so many stories compared with this man's that I picture us taking thousands of years to find out about them all. And she's talking about in heaven because God is sensitive to the hearts of his people, all people. When we move towards him, he moves towards us. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, we're told, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose, let's say it together, those whose hearts or their will are fully committed to him. He's like, I'm just looking for some people that'll take a step towards me and I will come and I will strengthen you and I'll en enable you to do things you never could do before. Cry out to me. Be honest with me. Get gut level honest to God today, would you? And if you do that, I truly believe he will change you. Now here's the question I want you to think about. What issue are you sick and tired of being conflicted over? You feel duplicitous over? You've been acting one way, but you believe another? You know you shouldn't? It's a desire that you've been going after, but there is this fear of the consequence? What is that for you? Maybe it's been trying to control somebody or a group of somebodies, and every time you try to manipulate, it does not go well. It backfires on you. It's hurtful. Maybe it is you desire something. There's an item. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, some, it's, it's a thing. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's more clout or influence or respect or admiration for you. What is it? Maybe that duplicitous conflict in you is your unwillingness to forgive somebody. And you would say, well, Will, if I could tell you the story, they don't deserve to be forgiven. And that's exactly right. I probably completely agree with you. But you know what? None of us deserve to be forgiven, and God gave us forgiveness. And he says, as you have been forgiven, so you should forgive, right? So it's not based on their merit, just like our salvation is not based on ours. And you may think, well, I've held on to this thing so long, this duplicitous tension in my heart so long. For me to give it up now, Will, it'll feel like, I'm, like part of me is dying. And you know what? That's profound because it's right. <laughs> part of you will die. But we must die to self in order to come alive in Christ. It is the greatest spiritual step forward you could possibly do. It's trusting him to say, I'm letting this go, Lord. I'm releasing it into your hands. Maybe today for you, the biggest hurdle that you have between you and God is just believing in the first place, just trusting him. Whether you would consider yourself atheistic or you're watching this online or you're agnostic, you just don't know, I don't know, I have no idea. Is this God real? I don't know. I want to encourage you, wherever you are spiritually, if you would just take a step towards him and pray a, just a simple prayer of just saying, God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. And maybe that's where you are spiritually. And if you pray that, that's the cry of your heart. You really mean it. God will not fail to come near you. He will meet you in that prayer would you just let your heart take a step towards him he has a heart monitor on every one of you he loves you and even the slightest movement he's there once again thanks for listening 
If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.